0: Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Schweitzer. Welcome to Worship Today. It is so good to be with you wherever you're at, wherever you're at. We're glad to be with you on this day that we uh, praise God and worship God with everything that we have. I'm Jim, and I serve as a pastor and our host for our experience today. If you're a guest with us, we're especially glad. We're excited you're here. We have a gift for you. It's a Starbucks digital gift card. We want to send that out to you right away. So just check in with us. and. We appreciate you doing that. Today we're, we're really looking forward to continuing our new series. It's the second week. It's a series called The Apostles' Creed, as we explore the scripture together and explore what it is we believe and why. Pastor Spencer is gonna lead us in the message, and God has something for us all today. It's gonna be an awesome morning, so we look forward to this uh, word that God has for us. If you'd like to go deeper, we can go to a link uh, it's uh, schweitzer.church slash next. We have sermon discussion questions and so much more there in ways to connect. So please do that. You'll, uh, you'll be glad you did. And now let's, uh, let's hear from Stephanie, who's going to tell us more about what's going on here at Schweitzer.
1: Hi, I'm Stephanie. Are you new to Schweitzer? Curious about who we are as a church? then we would love to have you attend our all-in luncheon on January 30th, right after the 1045 a.m. service. As a part of our all-in gathering, you'll get to know our pastors better, learn a little bit more about what we believe, and find new ways that you can connect in with the ministries of the church. Let us know you're coming by going to schweitzer.church slash next to sign up, or you can stop by the Connection Center this morning and talk with Sheila. The new year is a great time to find new ways to serve. Maybe you have a heart for kids or students. Some of you may love music and wanna be a part of the choir or the praise team. And I'll bet there are some of you who are kind of behind the scenes people and wanna be a part of the tech team, office staff, maybe a jobs for life mentor or even a food pantry volunteer. There are so many ways for you to connect in with serving at Schweitzer. You can find out more information at Next, or ask any one of our staff. They're happy to help you find a way to connect in. If you're looking for an opportunity to be a part of an adult small group, we invite you to join us on Wednesday evenings beginning February 2nd from 6.30 to 8.15 for a group night experience. This will be a great chance to make new friends, grow deeper in your faith, and get a taste of what being a part of a small group is like. You can find out more and sign up online, or you can speak with somebody from our groups team in the lobby today. And if you're looking to become involved in a small group before then, you can find a full list of all of our groups who are already meeting on our groups page at schweitzer.church slash groups. We are so glad you are with us this morning. Let's continue with worship.
0: Thanks, Stephanie, we appreciate you so much. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to engage. There's a chat feature on your screen. Uh, say hi to your friends, give us your insights and more. We, uh, we appreciate that, we love to hear from you. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, there's a prayer button. We have people available to pray, so it's a, it's a blessing and a gift and we would love uh, to pray with you. And so now let's, uh, on this day that the Lord has given us, let's praise God, let's worship God Uh, This is the day, again, the Lord's made. Let's worship.
2: Were creation suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues to lift one cry, then north and south, and east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified. in sky from rivers to the mountain tops, we hear Christ be magnified. And oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me and oh Christ be magnified in the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me when every creature finds its inmost melody and every you Honestly. me in the fire i rejoice because you're there too and i won't be formed by feelings i hold fast to what is true if the cross brings transformation then i'll be crucified with you because death is just the doorway into resurrection life If I join you in your sufferings Then I'll join you when you rise And when you return in glory With all the angels and the saints Oh, my heart will still be singing And my song will be the same
0: come to this time of prayer together, we thank God for the gift of prayer, the gift of relationship that God uh, seeks for us. God uh, desires to be known, God reveals God's self to us, and the gift of prayer changes not only us but the world uh, we live in and that God loves so much. And in the scripture this week uh, that Spencer is uh, teaching uh, from that he'll go deeper into, I was really kind of uh, uh, It was remarkably refreshed on the simplicity and beauty of the scripture, which speaks in the creation story of how God seeks to bless us, how God gives to us uh, in so many ways. And we are to open ourselves to God's gifts. And as we turn to God, in other other words, repent, uh, God gives and again seeks to bless us. That is, uh, God is uh, seeking the best for our welfare and goodness for us. And so as we go into a time of prayer together, I invite us to thank God, open ourselves, uh, surrender ourselves, if you will, just give ourselves to God and God's goodness. Uh, Let's pray together. It is so good to pray together. And let's continue uh, in our prayer uh, by really uh, thanking God. So Holy God and kind, kind Father, again, thanks so much for who you are as the uh, creator, the maker of heaven and earth and for your beautiful creation and for how you desire to bless creation and and us. Uh, we are in awe of you. And so we just, we pray today. We, We pray and we give ourselves to you. We seek to cooperate with you, Holy Spirit, who seeks the best for us, seeks to lead and guide us. So give us the faith to not have to know everything, but to really seek what you have for us so we can honor and glorify you as we live in your promises and your goodness. Holy God, we love you, we praise you. And now we uh, pray together with humility Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we thank God for God's generosity, God's care and provision in our life. God is uh, is so generous and gives and gives and gives. And our response to God's generosity is to give back out of what God has given to us, to give of our tithes and gifts and offerings, to be generous, to reflect God's good character. And so today, we're really excited to, uh, to thank you for generosity, especially to report back to you about our Christmas offering, which was over $15,000. Thanks so much. That will go to the Community Development Corporation called Flourish. Schweitzer began that CDC, uh, that ministry last year. We are still partnering uh, with Flourish. And so we're so excited to be able to give this gift to support the many ministries that transform lives, restore lives, give hope, and so much more. And in that light, let's be praying. One of the ministries in Flourish is Jobs for Life. There's a new class beginning January 25th. Your gifts will go towards that class again, which gives great life skills, but also just uh, reminds us and the participants in the class how much God loves them and and cares for them and is, is for them. So that's January 25th, Jobs for Life. Let's be praying for that. And again, thanks so much for your generosity every week. And we can continue to give by going to schweitzer.church slash give. Again, thanks so much. But to check out, uh, to learn more about Flourish, and I encourage us to do that, go to uh, flourishcdc.org and learn so much more about the ministries that are lifting up our community. We are community focused, and we're excited to be doing God's work with God here in Springfield. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead,
3: Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. This is part two of our series on the Apostles' Creed, which is really a, the basic statement of faith of what all Christians in all places at all times have believed, that, that we uh, believe these things about God. This is the claims that we have of Christian faith. And As we walk through the Apostles' Creed each week, we're really just asking uh, two big questions. What do we believe and why? And so last week as we got this started, we, we started at the very beginning of the Apostles Creed and we didn't make it very far. We only got two words in. All we covered were the first two words um, of I believe. So we talked last week about the nature of faith. What does it mean to believe? And to talk about this, we saw that that faith, Christian faith is not so much about doctrine and theology, even though that's really important, but what Christian faith is really about is a way of life. And so we talked about how, how a biblical faith is a way of life. That's how we said that. We trust God with the real parts of our life. Well today we're going to get to the first big claim of the Apostles Creed, um as we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And we just said a ton when we said that. Oh my gosh, there's so much in what we just said. And and we got are going to cover a ton of ground as we unpack that that first claim of the Apostles Creed today that we believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. We're going to talk about how God is our father and then we're going to talk about how God made everything, the heavens and, the earth. and so as we go through this today, we're going to do this in kind of reverse order. So we're going to start with how God made everything, and then we'll end with how He is our Father. So if you're going to talk about how God made everything, the heavens and the earth, well, you have to go to Genesis chapter 1 if you want to talk about this. We need to read, what does the Bible teach us about God making the heavens and the earth. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we're gonna start at the very beginning, and let's just read what the Bible teaches us about, about God making the heavens and the earth. So here's what it says: it says, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the Hebrew, that's one word. It's it's the word Bereshit, which is the, the Hebrew word for this whole book of Genesis, is Bereshit. So in the beginning, God. The Hebrew word is Elohim. Bereshit Elohim. The first two words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. And it's tempting when you're reading Genesis 1 to read right through this. Just to like, let's get to what God does. But, but, but don't do that. Pause for just a second and think about what we just said with those first four words. Two words in Hebrew, four words in English. In the beginning, God. Bereshit Elohim. What was there before there was anything? There was God. What, what has always existed? Well, it's God. What was there before, before everything? Well, God, God has always been, God always will be. This is the claim that we have from the very start of the Bible that God has always been and God always will be. And so theologians, when they talk about God's nature, sometimes theologians will describe how God is self-sufficient. And what they mean by that is God doesn't need anything in order to exist because he's always existed God doesn't need you to believe in him for instance in order to exist God has always existed so sometimes people will tell me you know Spencer I don't I don't believe in God and I, I don't want to be judgmental when people say that to me but I can't help but smirk just a little bit because I'm thinking to myself well your belief in God is kind of irrelevant. I mean, God doesn't need you to believe in him. We're just what we're really talking about here is the essence of reality, that, that God has always been and that God always will be. And your belief in him is kind of irrelevant to the point that God has always existed. So another phrase that along those lines, another phrase that theologians will use to describe the nature of God is that they will say that that God is transcendent. And what they mean by that is that God is utterly and completely different from everything that he has made. Everything in the universe, he is different. God exists outside of space and time and our minds cannot conceive how different God is and who God is because God has always existed and God always will exist and so therefore he is transcendent in every way imaginable. He does not fit our categories. God is, is absolutely transcendent. And so as we read through Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, we've got this, this big claim that God has always been, God always will be, God is transcendent, God is self-sufficient. And these are some truths that we're going to come back around to several times today, especially this truth that God is transcendent. So let's keep reading here because we're only four words in, but here's what we read next. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, and let's pause once more because we just read something really profound um, in the beginning, there's God, and the Spirit is hovering over the waters, and uh, God speaks. The Word of God comes forth, and what you see here, three verses into the Bible is the first glimpse of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. The, the God, uh, the Spirit, the, the Word coming forth, and so here we keep reading here, so God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters. Separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. and There was evening and there was morning the second day. And God saw that the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called sea and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky and give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems that moves with uh, that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, and said, be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the water and the seas, that the birds increase on the earth, and there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God saw that the land produced living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the birds of the sea and the birds of the air and the sky and every, every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and to all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. Oh my goodness, that was a long reading. But I wanted to read all of that to you, because I wanted you to catch... These things that are in Genesis chapter one that you could only catch if you read all of it. Because there's there's so much in this that if we just read like bits and pieces, maybe you could see some of it. But I really wanted you to hear all of it so you could catch this, this incredible chapter teaching us about God making the heavens and the earth. And there's so much in this. I mean, did you hear all the repetition that we just read? There's incredible repetition. Some of it was obvious, like seven days of creation and, you know, each day God... Uh, says something creation happens God saw it it was good there's evening there's morning like there's that kind of repetition that was that was kind of obvious and then there's all kinds of maybe more subtle repetition that's in there as well so for instance um, in the original Hebrew the word for create is the word bara and it's in there th- Three times, which is fascinating. Whenever the Bible uses like threes and sevens to make points, because usually it's trying to draw you into into significant things. Another another example of this is in the very first verse in the Hebrew, the original Hebrew. The first verse is seven words long. Isn't that interesting? As you read through here, you see all kinds of repetition. You see you see this phrase. Um, it was so in there seven times. God saw. You see that seven times. Ten times. I think this is so interesting. Ten times. God doesn't create, but God makes according to their kinds. That's how it says it. And that's ten times. So that's three plus seven. You also have ten times God said something. God said ten times. Three of those times in relationship to people, seven of those times in relationship to other uh, aspects of creation. Again, seven plus three. You got 10 times, you got this let there be statement about God saying, let there be this or let there be that. And again, that's three times about the earth, seven times about things in the sky or things in the heavens. And so you have this, again, this repetition, sevens and threes and tens and tens plus uh, three plus sevens. It's all kinds of place, all over the place, this repetition that you have in Genesis chapter one. And then there's the order of creation itself. And so you might think about the order of creation, the days that you have here. And so day one, what you see is uh, God creating the light and the dark. Day two, the sky and the water. Day three, you've got dry land appearing. Day four, sun and moon. Day five, birds and the fish. Day six, animals and people. And then day seven, God rest. As you look at the order of creation, you might be tempted to think that it's a progression, that God creates a kind of a progression, but that's really not what's happening here. There's really not a progression in Genesis chapter one of creation. For instance, in Genesis chapter one, the first day God creates, he creates light from dark. He separates light from dark, but he doesn't create the sources of light until day four. So like, how does that work? It's not, it's not a progression that we see in Genesis one of creation. Instead, it's something else entirely. So another way to kind of look at the days of creation is to look at them in different categories, And really you see two categories here. You've got days one, two, and three where God is separating things. He separates light from dark. He separates the sky uh, from the seas. And then day three, he separates the dry land from the seas. And then days four, five, and six, God fills the things that he separated in the corresponding day. So day one, God separates light from dark. Well, it's day four, God fills the light and the dark with the sun and the moon and the stars. Day two, he creates the sea from the sky. Well, day five, he fills the sea and the sky with birds and animal or birds and fish. And then day, day um, three, he creates the dry land from the sea. And then day six, he fills the dry land. And then day seven, it's, its own day as God, as God is resting. And so when you look at these categories, what you realize is this, this isn't what you would expect when you think about God making the heavens and the earth because it's not a progression. It's not as if what Genesis 1 is telling us is that God created this like giant nebula and like this energy producing star slowly formed over billions of years that because of its gravitational pull, pulled these elements together into some sort of rotation that formed planets and eventually life appeared. Like that's not what we get. And if that was what Genesis 1 was teaching us, that would be showing us a very distant God. A God who maybe gets things going and then just kind of sits back and watches it happen. But that's not the picture that we get. Instead, in Genesis 1, we have this picture of a transcendent God, in the beginning God, Bereshit Elohim, this God who is above space and time, different in every possible way from us. And yet, he's actively present and caring for the creation that he makes. He's involved in the process And so as you look at Genesis chapter one and you you piece these things together, the repetition, the the order of creation, the lack of progression, the active care that God is showing, what you realize in Genesis chapter one is that Genesis chapter one is is not trying to tell us how God made everything. Instead, there's another point entirely that Genesis one is trying to make. And this brings us to a really crucial point that we need to talk through a really crucial question when it comes to um, this claim that God made the heavens and the earth, God made everything. We have to talk about the relationship then between science and faith. And this is something we could go really deep in. I mean, we could spend hours talking about the relationship between science and faith. But but we need to kind of keep this maybe bigger bigger picture today. But we need to talk about this because there are so many people. I know a lot of people, you know a lot of people who have walked away from faith. Because they can't get past this question of science and faith. How could God make everything if the scientific world tells us that that's not how it happened? Like they can't get past this question. And, and somewhere, somehow along the way, we, we became convinced that um, science and faith are in opposition to each other. And so there are a lot of people who, when they think about the Bible, they think about the claims of the Bible, the claims of Christian faith, they, they can't get on board with it because they see this opposition to, to science and faith. It's like science versus faith or science or faith. Pick one or the other. And, and honestly, I don't get this opposition. I really don't get it. I mean, I, I get it if you read science in a certain way or if you read like faith in a certain way. Like I, I get it. I get it then because then you're trying to answer questions that maybe science isn't prepared to answer or maybe even questions that faith isn't prepared to answer. For instance, in Genesis chapter one, as you read through this incredible, incredible teaching about God making the heavens and the earth and the, and the, and the the repetition and the care and the lack of progression, these things we talked about so far, and you, you pay attention to all of these details, one of the things that you notice very quickly is that while Genesis 1 is not trying to tell us how God made everything, it's really trying to answer a bigger question, a more important question, because it's not so much interested in how, it's really interested in who. And with that, why? And those are two questions that science is unable to answer who and why Those are two questions that that science is unable to answer, even though people will sometimes look to science to try to answer those questions. And if, if someone comes to science to try to answer those questions of who or why, and they come to this conclusion that maybe there is no who, there is no person that's behind all of this, there is no transcendent Bereshit Elohim, transcendent God that has created all things, well then they come to the conclusion that science must be able to provide me the answer also for why. And so people start to look to, for science to, to answer the questions of, of meaning and purpose in life, which science is unable to do. But we start to look to psychology or the social sciences, these things we can test and measure to try to bring purpose to our lives as if science is able to answer the questions of human existence. But in reality, science can't answer these questions of who and why because science is more interested in the questions of how and what. Faith is interested in answering the questions of who and why. But sometimes even Christians, we get this mixed up and we start to look to the Bible to answer questions that the Bible never really tries to answer in the first place. I mean, the Bible is not trying to answer these questions of how and what and how these things take place and how God created all this. Like, what is the 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 method that God used to do all of these supernatural things? Like, that's not the question the Bible is trying to answer. And really, the Bible is silent on a lot of those things. I mean, the Bible is silent on how did the resurrection happen? I don't know. How did the virgin birth happen? I, I don't know. How did God specifically create all of these things and, and how did it look? Like, I, I don't know. Like the Bible is silent on so many of those things, but, but sometimes we try to take that worldview into the Bible and what we end up with is reducing the Bible to a textbook and we miss the, the presence, the, the person, the who that is behind all of it to begin with because we've started to answer and ask the wrong questions. There's this transcendent God, Bereshit Elohim, this one who existed before all time in all places. And, and, and our claim is that he is the presence, the person, the, the one who is beyond all of this. And he is utterly different than any category that we could ever begin to place on him. And yet sometimes this question of science versus faith, you know, it leads people to, to walk away from faith and to say no to the presence of God, because they think to themselves, well, I can't scientifically prove God's existence. And since I can't scientifically prove God's existence, I I, I can't believe in him. And again, I, I hear people say that sometimes, like, how do you prove God's existence? And I, I don't want to be judgmental. I really don't. But again, I can't help but smirk just a little bit because I, I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, you can't prove God's existence, but that's, like, that's kind of the point. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 kind of important that you can't prove God's existence, because if you could prove God's existence, you're in some trouble. Because if you can use the natural world and the methods of the natural world, the scientific method that measures and tests the natural world to prove one who is transcendent, well, at that point, you no longer have a transcendent God. And at that point, that's not God that you're proving. You're you're proving something that there must be something beyond that. What you're looking for is the transcendent one. You're looking for the one who is beyond anything that we can measure or test because he's categorically different. And you, you just can't use the methods of the natural world to measure one who is not natural. It just doesn't make sense. The great philosopher Abraham uh, Joshua Heschel, he he writes this. I think this is so good. I want to read this to you. I want to read it to you kind of slowly because it's it's dense, but it's so wise in how we have to think about the transcendence of God and this relationship to science. And so here's what Heschel writes. He says, "God is not a scientific problem, and scientific methods are not capable of solving it. The reason why scientific methods are not capable of solving it—that is God's existence." is the success of their application in the positive sciences. In other words, they exist to prove things. He goes on, and says, the fallacy involved in this analogy is that of treating God as if he were a phenomenon within the order of nature. The truth, however, is that the problem of God is not only related to phenomenon within nature, but to nature itself. Not only to concepts within thinking, but to thinking itself. It is a problem that surpasses nature to so what lies beyond all things and all concepts. And then he says this, it's such a wise sentence. He says, the moment we utter the name of God, we leave the level of scientific thinking and enter the realm of the ineffable or the holy. Let me say all that a bit more simply. Bereshit Elohim, in the beginning, God. Above all things, greater than all things, different than all things, existing outside of space and time, there is God. There is one who creates and makes all things. And and this is one who exists, no matter what we think about him or how we think about him, he just is. He always has been, he always will be. This is the transcendent God. He is greater than the scientific method. He exists outside of the things that we might try to measure. And so therefore, he is not measurable because he is categorically different. In the beginning, God, God is transcendent. He exists outside of space and time. Or in in other words, we say that like this in the Apostles' Creed, um, I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, the transcendent God. But the claim in the Apostles' Creed as well, we got to pay attention to this, is not just that we believe in a maker. It's not just that we believe in a transcendent personality, a transcendent being who exists outside of everything that we know or could know. It's that also that this transcendent being, this God, this Bereshit Elohim, in the beginning God, that this God also wants to be known. And this is where we really find the compelling message of the Christian faith, that this maker of the cosmos has revealed himself to us. And now we call him Father. This is the second part of the Apostles' Creed. It's that we believe in the God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. We don't just believe in a, the Lord or God, this generic statement of, of some divine being. We don't just believe in the transcendent one, but we actually believe that this God wants to be known. And so we call him Father. Now, I know that there are lots of us who are troubled by that, that we would call God Father. Maybe you're troubled because your own father in your life was, was a mess and caused harm in your life and you certainly don't want to think about God in that way and I totally get that. Or you may be troubled by that because it, it sounds as if we're trying to say that God is a man, like God is, like God is male. But again, we need to remember that God is transcendent. He doesn't exist in categories. And so when we call God Father, we're not so much saying something about God's gender. That's not why we call God Father. The reason why we call God the Father is because that's what Jesus called God. Jesus called God the Father. And when you belong to Jesus Christ, you are invited into a relationship with God like Jesus had. Let me show you a really good example of this. In John chapter 20, Jesus has this really interesting thing he says to Mary Magdalene, all about how God is our Father. So this is John 20 is Easter morning. So uh, I think about Easter morning, the women go to the tomb and they they go to anoint Jesus' body because he's been crucified and buried. And And they go and they find the stone rolled away. And so the women leave. They're confused. They don't know what's going on. And Mary Magdalene, she finds Jesus in the in the garden and she thinks he's a gardener, which is just a great detail because remember when God created everything, he made a garden. That's the first thing he made. And so here's Jesus resurrected from the dead in a garden and he's the gardener. And so uh, Mary comes to Jesus and she doesn't know who she's talking to. She's so confused and uh, she cries. She's like, do you know where do you put Jesus' body? And Jesus just simply says to her, she, he says, Mary, just says her name. Like, don't you know who this is? Mary. And uh, as he says, Mary, she, she, she melts and she understands, she sees who Jesus is. She falls to the ground, she cries out and she tries to hold on to him, and, and then Jesus says this to her. she says, "You need to go back to my disciples and tell them something." and here's what Jesus wanted to tell Mary. So this is uh, John chapter twenty, verse seventeen. He said, "Go instead to my brothers, the disciples, and tell them, "I am ascending to my Father and your father, to my God and your God." Now what's interesting about that is that throughout the gospel of John Jesus often calls God his father. He does it all the time. But he never calls God the father of his disciples until now. Like something happened in the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus, where where Jesus starts to say, no, 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 God is not just my father. He's also your father. You are also invited into this relationship. Like you can know God too, like I do. He's my father He's your father, or I think about what um, is written in Hebrews chapter two verse eleven. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I love this verse. But Hebrews chapter two verse eleven says this. Listen to the claim that's being made here. It says both the one who makes people holy—that is Jesus—he makes people holy—and those who are made holy—that is you when you put your faith in Jesus—are of the same family. Listen to that. You're of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed. To call them brothers and sisters. Jesus calls you his brother and his sister. Jesus has invited you into the family. And so now, through Jesus, through his death, his resurrection, his life, the gift that he's given to you, you can know God, you can speak to God, God will listen to you. Listen, ready for this? Just as if you were Jesus, because you're part of the family. This is the claim that we make here, that we're part of the family. And so while Jesus was God's child by nature, we are God's children by grace. And while Jesus was begotten from the Father, we are adopted by the Father. We are brought into the family. This is, this is the claim that we make. And so to call God our Father is not like a theological statement about God, but rather what it is, it's a, it's a confession about the most defining relationship of your life, that you belong to the family of God. When you call God the Father, you're making a confession about whose family that you belong to. You see, in the gospel, there is this invitation that's available to you. This invitation that the one who made everything the one who is transcendent, Bereshit Elohim, the one who has always existed and always will exist, that he cares for you and that he wants to know you so much that he would send his own son and through his death and resurrection, you are invited into the family. This is the claim that we make. This is what we say when we we say we believe when we say this line, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. We are making a claim, a confession of the gospel message that the one who made everything cares dearly and deeply about each of us and has invited us into a relationship with him where we can call him father, where we can be known by him, loved by him, and included into the family. So as we close today, what we're going to do is I'm going to pray with you and we're going to make this confession of how God is our Father and then after that we're going to say together this confession of faith uh, with the Apostles Creed and I encourage you to say this along with me. The words will be on the screen as just we affirm our faith in this historic message that all Christians in all places have believed throughout time. Let's pray together. And so Father today uh, we consider your greatness that you made all things heaven and earth And you are different, categorically different from everything. You're you're greater than science. You're greater than than what we can measure. You're greater than what what uh, we can understand. Your greatness is just, it is beyond us. And we cannot begin to conceive or conceptualize how great you are. And yet you have come that we might know you. You have come and revealed yourself to us. And you want us to be part of your family, that through Jesus, your son, you have included us invited us to know you as our father, to belong to your family. And so today for anyone who feels maybe like their, their life is small, may they be reminded that you care deeply about them. For anyone who feels far from you, may they know the truth that you care about them so much, that the creator of all cares about them so much that they can know you through the gift of your son, Jesus. And anyone who doesn't have faith, may today be the day where they cross that line of faith with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? Would you help me to follow you and know you and and serve you? And so God, we thank you that you've included us in your family, that you've wanted us to know you and to walk with you and to love you. And we are loved by you the great God of all things, the one who made all things, the heavens and the earth and their vast array, you love us. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And let's join our voices together, wherever you may be, in confessing our faith to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks everybody for being in worship this morning. It has been so good to be with you. Special thanks to Stephanie as always for keeping us connected, letting us know what's going on here at at the church. Also to uh, the worship team. Wow, thanks so much for leading us, helping us praise God this day. And to Spencer for your message, Uh, so, uh, so good for our souls to hear what you have from us, from God. And if you know anybody out there that could use this encouraging message of the relationship with God and what the goodness God desires for us, share it on social media. And we really appreciate you doing that as well. And so as we wrap up today, we look forward to seeing you again next week for week three of the Apostles' Creed. Again, really look forward to seeing you. Stay warm. See you next week.
2: sorrows. When I failed him, he didn't cast me away. He stood right by me through all of my troubles.